I want to read today from Luke chapter 23. There were also two other malefactors led with him to be put to death. And when they were come to the place which is called Calvary, there they crucified him and the malefactors, one on the right hand and the other on the left. I want to speak to you for a few moments today, the three crosses of Calvary. The three crosses of Calvary. Let's pray together. Let's pray for Brother Ben and Skyler as we pray. Father, today in the name of Jesus, we ask you today to speak to our hearts through the medium of the Word of God. It is always a challenge. It's a brain stretch every time we hear it. When the kingdom expands, we stretch. Sometimes it's painful, but it's needful. And I pray today, God, that the Holy Ghost would invade the, this room, that the Spirit of God would work in our hearts and minds. Let the power of the Holy Ghost be made manifest here today. We ask it in Jesus' name. We pray for Brother Ben today. God, I pray that you would minister to him, that you would strengthen his body, heal his body. Skylar, God, love this little girl, and you do. I pray that you would be good to her today in the name of Jesus. Let the Spirit of God work. Clap your hands to the Lord. And some praise and thanksgiving today. Hallelujah. Thank you for standing. You may be seated. Life is full of choices. Does anybody concur with that? If you don't have choices to make every day, you're not living. Amen. We choose our cars. We choose our homes. We choose our jobs. And depending on your academic choices and and how far along you are in the ac academic process you can choose your own classes when i was in school they called them electives i don't know what they call it today but i've come to learn to call them a waste of time and uh but anyway we choose to be a good employee or you can choose to be a bad one and those of you here today that are employers I'm sure you're very thankful for people who choose to be good employees because if they're not, you have to be mean and ugly. We choose to pay our bills or we choose not to pay our bills. And I can promise you if you don't, it's only a matter of time. Your phone will start ringing. If you don't answer it in a short amount of time, somebody's going to come to your door. If you don't answer your door, they'll leave a note on your door. If you still don't answer your door, you'll wake up one morning and your car will be gone. Life is made up of choices. And it seems like some are aware of it and some maybe haven't caught on to it yet. I pray for those folks. But where we may not be always aware of our choices, we may not also be aware that we can choose the attitude that we want to dictate our life. Everybody say attitude. Our attitudes are not so much based on our circumstances as they are our choice to be either positive or negative in those circumstances. Success has never been a part of the life that is consistently negative. Spirituality is not a success for those who choose to be consistently negative in your attitude whether you appreciate hearing that or not you need to ask yourself that question is my attitude about church about the pastor about the people at the church about my job about my marriage and so on is my attitude helping me move further along and be better if it's not then you need to adjust your attitude an attitude is a matter of choice The choice of our attitude serves up several lessons for us. Our attitude determines our approach to life. Our attitude determines our relationships with people. Our attitude is the only difference between success and failure. Our attitude is the beginning of a task that will affect the outcome more than anything else. Our attitudes can turn our problems into blessings. I've lived there. Our attitude can give us an uncommonly positive 
perspective. Brother Dave Bunch walked in the door this morning, stood in the doorway of my office, and he said, I chose today to make the world a happier place. And I said, Hallelujah. He said, I had a cup of coffee. I said, forget the hallelujah. I thought this was really going somewhere. By the way, I'm going to tell his joke. He asked me this week, did I hear of the legislation that's being, that it was passed in our Louisiana State Legislative Board this week in honor of Cole Tear? They call it Cole's Law, Cole's Law. Steve Bunch does not wear the blue ribbon of being the most corny in that family. He's sitting right over here, I'm just saying. So uh, anyway, our attitude is not automatically good. Our attitude is not automatically good just because we have the baptism of the Holy Ghost. George Moore said, the difficulty in life is the choice. Listen very carefully. God chooses what we go through, but we choose how we go through it. Can you relate to that? Farah, can you relate to that? God chooses what we go through. We choose how we go through it. Calvary was the place of three crosses. Or crosses that represented a particular thing. For the sake of this presentation today, I'll use the three crosses as follows. One cross will represent rebellion. One cross will represent repentance. And the other cross will represent redemption. And the cross that represents us are the cross that we will give our allegiance to or will to, will be our choice. Today I'll focus primarily on the first two. Luke 23 contains the sad saga of Jesus on His way to the cross. He has walked the halls of Pilate's courts, a man who did not know what to do with the King of Kings. He has been exposed to the cruelty of Herod and once again sent back to Pilate. From here, he walks on to Golgotha, the place of the skull. It is here that the soldiers quickly pin him to the ground and do their work quickly. They nail him to the tree that is to be his way of death. In addition, two other criminals are crucified with Jesus on that day. Some have even have even made the ties and and connected two of these men, the two malefactors, to be a part of a band of thieves that was run by Barabbas, the man who was eventually exchanged for Jesus. Barabbas had been pardoned earlier in the day. He had been freed from his debt to society. Now only his men. These two malefactors were left to face the executioners. As with all men, again, choices face us in life. The two thieves, by their own right, represent every man who approaches the Christ. The cross, the first cross that I will mention to you today, held one thief who cried out to Jesus, He cried out to Jesus. This one thief cried out to Jesus. But please note with me, not only what he said, but his attitude about it. In Luke 23, the Bible said, And one of the malefactors which was hanged railed on him, saying, If thou, if, if thou be the Christ, save thyself and us. I personally believe perhaps that Satan took his cue and literally entered into the heart of this thief. Hell was let loose momentarily on that day 
like never before nor since. This malefactor cursed, he spat, he blasphemed, he raved, he gnashed his teeth. The awful torture of crucifixion brought him to the brink of absolute insanity that he was displaying that day. He was rogue at heart, and he would be rogue at heart until he made his final exit from this world. But he was not alone, because Mark records in Mark chapter 15, not only did the thief do this with an attitude of rebellion, but the Bible said, likewise, also the chief priests mocking, said among themselves with the scribes, he saved others, but himself he cannot save. Let Christ, the King of Israel, descend now from the cross that we may see and believe and that we and they that were crucified with him reviled him. The cry of the maddened thief, If thou be the Son of God, that is the voice of rebellion and unbelief. If it has enough venom in it to poison the soul, was there ever any if? about Jesus being the Son of God. I'll remind you today that He did turn water to wine. The widow's son was raised from the dead. The lepers were cleansed. The blind saw and the deaf heard. The pointed, pungent words of the sermons and all the teachings of Jesus. The sea even obeyed Him. The dead were raised up again. Some were now watching Him die. Even the Son hid its face in a veil of darkness when he died. If, he said, if, if thou be the Son of God. There was no question about it. He was the Son of God. He was the creator of the world, embodied in flesh. The thirst. That's right. Give the Lord a hand praise here today. The first malefactor was on the rebellious cross. Such is the enmity of the natural heart against the laws and works of Christ. Paul said in Romans chapter 8, Because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. So then they that are in the flesh cannot please God. Some are exposed to the love of the Savior. Others even experience relief from a heavy heart. But in some lonely hours of duress, offense, or betrayal, there is that internal failure. Then the words of mockery began. The world, if you'll notice with me today, wants a soft Christ. They want a politically correct Christ, if you will. It desires an easy Jesus, an undemanding Christ. But the world is not interested in a Christ desiring to deliver them from their failure. There's always been that war between the crosses. There are times that the rebellious cross encroaches on the sacred precincts of the house of God. The rebellious cross never realizes the importance of a commitment and a good attitude. A rebellious attitude never understands the precepts of holiness. It never fully actualizes the reason for prayer and fasting. The rebellious cross never fully understands the intent of separation from the world. It is never really able to shake off the pulls and whims of the flesh. The scoffer is always looking for one more loophole to justify his own sin, his own action, his own attitude, and even his own belief. That is the difficulty and the perplexities of these two crosses, of these two choices. Men either become scoffers or they become repentant worshipers, and there's no in-between. The lonely hours preceding death has come to life in some of the most pierced words ever spoken. Hobbes said, were I master of all the world, I would give it all to live one day longer. St. Francis Newport said, wretch that I am, whether shall I fly from this breast, what will become of me? Oh, that I were to lie upon a fire 
that has never quenched a thousand years to purchase the favor of God and to be reconciled to Him again. Oh, eternity, eternity, He said. Who can discover the abyss of eternity? Who can paraphrase these words forever and ever? No pain can be compared to remorse. That is the horror of unbelief. But the second thief, the second thief had some words to say as well. In Luke 23 again, the Bible said, But the other, the other thief answering, rebuked the first, saying, Don't you fear God, seeing that we are in the same condemnation? For we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing amiss. And he said unto Jesus, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. Look at the repentant defender of Jesus. Sometimes the most bitter herbs of life, the most bitter trials, becomes the best treatment, the best therapy for the soul, because it is in that hour that we become repentant. And again, that is the difficulty and perplexity of these two crosses, of these two choices. Men either become rebellious or they become repentant. Again, there is no in-between. The repentant cross becomes a worshiping cross. Notice that this happens after you have just been crucified by someone or some circumstance, either justly or unjustly. The repentant thief recognized that I'm getting what I deserve. But I submit to you today, as we have discussed on Wednesday nights, that sometimes people can be treated unjustly. Joseph in the Old Testament was, Saul of the Old, or David of the Old Testament was, treated unjustly. But once again, life is full of choices, is it not? And where God will sometimes determine what we go through, it's our choice as to how we go through it. These two men made a choice. They made a choice. One decided, I will be resistant and rebellious. I will determine that I'm going to die with a hardened attitude, a closed mind. I will not ask for help. I will not plead for forgiveness. I will choose to die in my sin. But the other made another decision. You know, the evangelist Luke has more insight into the details of the life of Jesus than any other Gospels. And it's here that perhaps he enters into his own, all his own. This thief, this repentant defender, and possibly this member of the band of Barabbas, a lot of commentators believe that he was actually familiar with who Jesus was. He was quick to say, he's done nothing wrong. So apparently, he knew him at some level. Perhaps it was countless times that he had dis disguised himself in a crowd. Perhaps as a fisherman or a shepherd or a tax collector along with Barabbas. Maybe casing out the place. Maybe looking for someone to take it in the crowd to take advantage of, to, to rob or to harass. Yet even though the thief's heart was hard, he was not immune to those words and works of Jesus. In his early days, he could have been one of John the Baptist's disciples. Who knows? He could have been one of Jesus' own disciples, not one of the twelve, but perhaps one of the seventy. Who knows? Perhaps the thief was hanging around when he heard John the Baptist utter those awesome words of prophetical fulfillment when he said, Behold, the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. Who knows? He may have been in the multitude who heard the Sermon on the Mount. Who knows? In any case, it is apparent that the repentant defender of Jesus had some knowledge of Jesus prior 
to that day of crucifixion. Perhaps it was those memories that caused him to become the the repentant defender on that day. Be a robber in cahoots with Barabbas or no, you will not forget the mountainsides. You will not forget the supper tables of Galilee. This man and many more like him went back to their farms, their merchandise, their tax table. In this case, this man went to the robber's cave, but he took with him the memories, the visions, a heart and a conscience which had been impacted by those powerful and loving words of the Lord Jesus Christ that he could never forget. It's that way with my memory. I remember my first altars. I remember the first times I would go to the altar and all I could do is cry. Could never dry up the tears. My heart, I suppose, was tender and easily broken in those days. I remember my first time to actually feel the presence of God. I remember seeking God for His will in my life. And it is those memories that cause us to seek God. And sometimes at at times with even a greater intensity than before. I cherish the memories. I cherish the sermons. I cherish the Bible studies. I will submit to you today that a whole lot of the reason I've stayed my course and I've kept my focus is I remember sermons that my pastor preached. I remember sermons I heard at camp meeting. I've heard, I remember sermons preached in revivals. I've heard heaven preached. I've heard hell preached. I've heard the Holy Ghost preached. I've heard worldliness preached. I've heard sin preached. I remember those things that's become a part of the framework and the fabric of my mind. And there's a lot of things bedded deep into my memory that causes me to keep a straight focus and a determination to make heaven my home. And I have a feeling here today that that repentant thief heard a sermon preached by Jesus. He probably heard a sermon preached by John the Baptist. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. I'm sure he heard or heard about the disciples when they ministered to people and cast out devils and healed the sick and raised the dead. There was something embedded in the heart of that man, in the mind of that man. So now that he is being crucified next to, just almost within hand's reach of Jesus himself, his memory started to work on his heart. When the rebellious, belligerent thief began to lash, lash out, conscience kicked in, memory kicked in. He decided, I'm dying anyway, and what have I to lose? I'm going to defend him. Got caught up in his presentation. And I really don't know if he really intended to say, remember me when you come into your kingdom. I don't know if he meant to say that or not. But buddy, it sure blurted out of his mouth. And what's interesting to me about the thief, the repentant thief on the cross, is I'm not sure he anticipated what Jesus would even say to that. What would you think if you were in his place and you have lived the life of a wretch and you look over at Jesus who has been crucified by people like you? You're part of the reason, man, that he's nailed to that cross right now and you're asking him to take you to heaven with him when he dies or you die, whichever comes first, who do you think you are? But I suppose today that he had nothing to lose. Why not throw it out there and let's see what happens? I wish some of you would do that. There's people here today, you can't get Jesus out from under the microscope. You can't get the church out from under the microscope. 
You can't get the pastor out from under the mic. I want to understand all this. I want to know how it works. How is God going to literally come into my life and in the strange language is going to come out of my mouth? I just, I don't get all of this. I don't understand it. And then the lifestyle of discipleship that I'll have to live, that the Bible wants me to live. I want a soft Christ. I want a politically correct Christ. I want a Christ that understands me. I don't really care to understand Him. I just want one that understands me. Does anybody get my drift here today? I'm here to tell somebody, and it may just be one here today. I don't know. God knows what He's doing, and I'm confident the Word of God is hitting its mark right now. But it would be in your best interest just to throw out there how you feel and watch and see how God responds. You might be surprised that He just might whisper in your ear, I thought you were worth saving. I thought you were a keeper. And that's why I came and was nailed to that cross right there. That's what I think. Ask me anything you want. Tell me anything you want. I just want your heart. I just want your life. I want you to love me back. That's all I want. Oh, yes. But still, despite our own memories, there's that time of hesitation. And we shrink back from pulling down the walls that surround our hearts. We do not want to become a crying, repentant thief. I'll submit to you today that there's been times in my walk with God that I stood in the presence of God with all of its intensity, with all of its probing conviction. I've stood there alone, embarrassed, but repentant and hungry for change. There's times I've stood in the presence of God embarrassed by my own pride, embarrassed and ashamed by my own uh, ambition. I've been humiliated by my lack of self-discipline. I've even been dismayed by my lack of personal devotion. I've been disheartened over my lack of concern for the lost, but despite all of that, still there was heavy hesitation to allow God to do the real work that He wanted to do in my life. I reasoned in my heart that I've stolen nothing. I'm not a thief. When the reality, when in fact, I had committed the greatest felony by robbing God of time, of my talent, and of my service. I have reasoned at times, I don't feel like a sinner. That may be. Yet I walk along, if you'll accept this, this presentation right here, I walk along the cliffs and the mountains. And when you do that, you notice the sunlight and the flowers at the mouth of the cave. And it's beautiful, and I've been to places like that in my life. I'm comparing that to my life in my own heart. But if you could take a torch down into that cave where life sometimes is beautiful on the outside, as you peer into the darkness, you don't have to go very far till you see the flashing eyes of some wild thing or hear the hiss of the rebellious serpent. That is a perfect environment of the heart and the sunlight of worldliness. But if you take the torch of God's truth and God's word deep down into the caverns of our hearts, you'll see the bristling horrors of humanity and you hear the rattling of fangs. Jeremiah said, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked, and who can know it? God responds and said, I, the Lord, search the heart and I try the reins, even to give every man according to his ways and according to the fruit of his doings. If we could but see the real condition of the sinner's heart before God, it would no doubt move all men. The second thief watched and waited. He watched, and finally when he heard Jesus say, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do, he couldn't hold back anymore. That sentence did more to numb the agony of his body and mind that the thief was ever experiencing then all the wine mingled with myrrh that they could have given him. It broke the thief's heart 
He remembered somewhere in the past a calling Savior, a crying Savior. There was no if in the mind of the repentant thief. He flung himself at the foot of the middle cross, the cross of redemption. He became a repenting cross. His became a believing cross. There was no if in the mind of the repentant thief. It is this cross that leads to the pathway of contentment and peace because from the cross of redemption, we heard Jesus respond to the repentant thief where he said nothing to the rebellious thief. The prayers of the rebellious thief were never acknowledged and certainly never answered. But to the repentant thief, we heard Jesus just simply say, This day, you will be with me in paradise. There's folks sitting here right now. I would to God I could just come. I wish I could just walk up to you right now, take take you by the hand, lead you up here, and come up here and say whatever you want to say to Jesus. Just throw it out there and see what he says. You would be surprised what he could forgive you of. You'd be surprised what he'd put under his blood. You'd be surprised what he will never judge you about. You'd be surprised how life-giving and how much hope his word and his presence would give you in your life. Why don't you just walk up here and just blurt out something? Jesus, I want to go to heaven with you and see what he says. On this day, on crucifixion day, It was on the day Jesus was dying. Notice. Brother James, the sun hid its face. The remaining 11 disciples all fled, terrified. Jesus even sent his own mother home. It's hard to get your head around this. But on this particular day, that repentant thief was the only person on the planet that seemingly had any faith. Isn't that bizarre? He has been crucified and dying an agonizing, prolonged death. But somewhere in the heart of that man was some faith coupled with repentance. And when he threw out that bizarre prayer request, remember me, remember me, remember me, Jesus said, I hear you, man. And when I die, and when you die, you'll be with me. I wonder how many more had they prayed that prayer that died that day would have had the same opportunity. But they just didn't believe that their crazy-sounding prayer request could be answered. That their bizarre sin and horrible lifestyle of transgression could ever be forgiven. And it turns out that the one most hardened criminal on the planet that day ended up being the one with the most faith. I believe the man had greater faith than Abraham, who was the father of all believers. I believe his faith was greater that day than David and Isaiah, greater than Peter and James and John, who, by the way, fled at that crucial hour all the faith and hope in the heart of Peter died, and the faith and hope in John had died. The faith and hope in the heart of Mary Magdalene had died, but not in the heart of this thief. And it was on this day that his faith had been the only faith in existence. And he aimed it at the only place that it was profitable. He directed that faith at the only place that could give him any smallest bit of hope. He directed it 
towards that middle cross of redemption. The cross that can redeem all mankind, any man, every man. The cross that is able to forgive sin and forget sin. The cross of redemption, the cross that can give life and that can give it more abundantly. Somebody needs to hear me today. I'm not presenting to you a religion. I'm not presenting to you the Pentecostal way. I'm not presenting to you some old fable doctrine. I'm taking you right now face to face with the bleeding, dying Jesus who the Bible said greater love hath no man than this that he would lay his life down for his friends. You say, but Pastor, you don't know my story. You don't know my life. I may not, but you don't know my Jesus. What greater love hath no man than that he would lay his life down for his friends? You say, but I've been horrible. So was the thief. I've been horrible. So was Judas Iscariot, in whom Jesus called his friend. He also called Abraham his friend. And if these men are a friend of God, then I will gladly take my place at the foot of the cross and say, I need my friend to forgive me, to love me, to save me. We've built up attitudes, mindsets, and perspectives. We have our own beliefs in God. I heard a man say just this week on the radio. He said it in a comical way, but it's not funny to me. He said he took his kid to church. He decided once he was married and had a kid that he might tell him about Jesus. So he said he took his kids to church. He said his son was sitting there at five or six years old. I don't mean to point out any particular faith, and it could be anybody, I suppose. But he said he looked up on the wall, his son did, and said, Dad, what is that? And he said, well, son, that's a depiction of Jesus dying on the cross. He said, I'm scared to death of it. Can we leave? He said, so I took him out of church, and we left immediately, and I took him to see a movie. It's a world we're living in. I don't know what you see when you see the cross. And I don't know what you think about your life when you see the cross. I'm not offering you a religion. I'm offering you redemption. I'm offering you a way out. And whatever your preconceived ideas are and whatever religion of your past that may have poisoned your mind or put some picture in your head true. I'm asking you to take a step back right now and look at the cross as it really is. It's not just something hanging on the wall or around your neck or hanging from your earlobes. The cross is a symbol of the love of God shed abroad in our heart that we humanly don't have the ability to even comprehend for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever, that whosoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. I thank God for the cross of redemption. Sister April, he thought I was worth saving. He thought I was worth keeping. He thought I was worth loving. I'm thankful today for a God like that. You know, I'm aware that in every service that we come to worship in, that there are those who feel like their mistakes outweigh the strength of God. Your sin is greater some way than His ability to forgive. It's lives that are lived making poor judgments, poor decisions. It's living a life, lack of commitment 
and we conclude that it's unworthy, our life is unworthy of the touch of God. So people assume, who cares if I quit? Who cares if I give up? Who cares if I become rebellious? Who cares if I walk out of here and never come back? Who really cared? He was a routine admission to the busy Bellevue Hospital. He was a charity case, one among hundreds, a bum from the Bowery with a slashed throat, the Bowery, that last stop before the morgue, a synonym of filth, loneliness, cheap wine, and disease. The details of what happened in the pre-dawn of that chilly winter's morning were fuzzy. The nurse probably shrugged it off. She had seen thousands, and she was sure to see thousands more. Would it have made any difference if she and those who treated him had known who he was? Probably so. His his recent past was the antithesis of his earlier years. The Bowery became the dead-end street of incredible life. But all that was over. A 25-cent-a-night flop house had rooms you hear about but never want to see, full of stinking humanity, too miserable to describe. He was one among many. Like all the rest, now all he did, all he lived for was to drink. His health was gone, and he was starving. On that icy January morning before the sun had crept over, New York skyline, a shell of a man who looked twice his age, staggered to the wash basin and fell. The basin toppled and shattered. He was found lying in a heap, naked and bleeding from a deep gash in his throat. His forehead was badly bruised, and he was semi-conscious. A doctor was called, no one special because this was a Bowery patient. He used black sewing thread someone found to suture the wound. That would do. All the while, the bum begged for a drink. A buddy shared the bottom of a rum bottle to calm his nerves. He was dumped in a paddy wagon and dropped off at Bellevue Hospital, where he would languish, unable to eat for three days, and finally die, still unknown. A friend seeking him was directed to the local morgue. There among dozens of colorless, nameless corpses with tags on their toes, he was identified. When they scraped together his belongings, they found a ragged, dirty coat with 38 cents in one pocket and a scrap of paper in the other, all of his earthly goods, enough coins for another night in the Bowery, and five words written on a piece of paper. Dear friends and gentle hearts. Almost like the words of a song, someone thought. But who cared? Why, in the world, would a forgotten drunk carry around a line of lyrics? Maybe he still believed he had it in him. Maybe that derelict with the body of a bum still had the heart of a genius. For once upon a time, Long before his tragic death at the age of 38, he had written songs that literally made the whole world sing like Camp Town Races and Old Susanna, Won't You Cry For Me. Beautiful dreamer, my old Kentucky home, along with 200 others that have become deeply rooted in our rich American heritage, thanks to Stephen Foster, whom nobody knew and for whom nobody cared. I really believe today your face don't show it, your smile don't show it, but in your heart you feel it. What's the use? I'll just go ahead and live my life out as just a mere existence the shell of a person full of potential and talent and gifting and personality. I'll stay addicted to my alcohol and my cigarettes and 
I'll do drugs once in a while, even prescription drugs. I'll do all of that for I'll, I'll do that sometimes because I just can't get my head around this God thing. There's people here today that are almost about to believe the lie that you've told yourself about being too cold for God to touch. You're just about to believe that. There's people here today that's right on the brink of believing that your situation is beyond the reach of God's hand. There's people here today, you're almost ready to believe that God can no longer look for prodigals. You're ready to believe that God no longer walks on stormy seas, and you're ready to believe that God don't get in the back of people's boats anymore. Somebody wrote a song one time, many times, many times I've heard the story sitting on my mother's knee. The words of the song goes to encapsulate that song that impacted my life the first time I heard it. It just simply says that God never gives up. He's not the quitting kind. And you may be hanging today from a cross of addiction, a cross of divorce, a cross of conflict, a cross of attitude, a cross of unbelief. It doesn't matter. But there's a cross of redemption that I want you to look at one more time. I don't care how many tattoos you've got on your body and how many times you've pierced yourself. I don't care how many times you've cut yourself. Somebody shared with me just recently that I fell into a deep state of depression and started cutting myself, and this thing is prevalent all around our society because it's not that they don't believe in God. It's because religion somewhere down the line has given people some perverted, demented view of what the cross is. But I'm here to tell you today, it doesn't matter what your cross is. What's important is what His cross is. And it's a cross of redemption. And He wants to save your life. For Jesus said, I am come that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. Somebody stand to your feet and clap your hands in appreciation the cross. God has a purpose for your life. Yes, He does. You're afraid you'll never be found. You're afraid that the sun is fading in your life. There's no way to retrace your steps. There's no way to retrace your steps. You have to start from here. Troubled mind, baffled heart. You wonder, how did you ever get this far? How can you leave that place to come to Him? cross of redemption is in front of the next step you take. It's that close. It doesn't matter where you are. You're closer to God right now than you've ever been. doesn't matter where life has taken you. As soon as you turn to that cross of redemption, the next step you take, you're there. That's just how God works. There's nothing to undo. There may be a lot of things to change, but you can't go back and undo the past. You come just like you are, and you blurt out silly prayer requests that you want to blurt out and see how he answers. See how he answers. There's three crosses in front of you right now. Rebellion, repentance, Redemption. What will you do? What will you do today? I want to pray right now. If you'll bow your head with me, I feel that heavy umbrella of conviction hovering over this room. There's backsliders here today. You know what I'm talking about is true. You can say whatever you want to say, but you know what I'm saying is true. You know God loves you. And you know you can make a comeback if you want to. just have to make that choice. It's just a matter of choice. Today would be a good day for you to pray back through to the baptism of the Holy Ghost. There's men and women here today. There's young parents here today. 
Today would be a great day for you to change your attitude. What a day, what a time to celebrate Memorial Day weekend with a great attitude towards Jesus. Father, in the name of Jesus, as your presence permeates this room right now, there's people sitting here today that either they have convinced themselves of a lie or the devil has and says that Nobody really cares what's the use. My life will never change, etc. But God, you know who you are. I know a little bit about you, and I know what you can do in the lives of men and women. I've seen it all of my life. Taking people that thought there was no hope for their life and make literally a trophy out of them. I pray, God, today that somehow this image of the cross that we've tried to portray here today would somehow bleed through those old negative images of the past of hardcore, unable to understand religion and a difficult Bible to read and a marriage that can't be fixed and kids that can't be turned around. God, you're, you're excellent at these things. You know what to do with our broken life, with the broken pieces. You know how to pick us up and put us back together and turn our lives around. I pray today, oh God, that your spirit would break through. Perhaps as it did with a thief that day hanging from a cross, he could hear those words, Come unto me, all ye that labor, and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And He heard words, no doubt, that came out of your mouth and the mouth of your disciples, and he never forgot it. So he took a chance in his dying moments, in his last breath, with pain, coursing through his body that's unbearable. He blurts out, would you remember me? God, in this room today are people who's prayed those prayers in their heart. They come out of their lips, they come out of their mouth quietly so no one will hear, and they hope for a response. Well, today they're getting it. They're getting an answer to that prayer. Yes, you're saying to them, yes, I will forgive you. Yes, I still love you. Yes, I still want the best for your life. Yes, I know where you are. Yes, I know what you're going through. And yes, I can take care of your problems. Yes, I can give you hope. Yes, I will never leave you and I'll never forsake you. Yes, I'm still your God. Yes, I still care about you. God, touch men and women today in Jesus' name. This awesome atmosphere, this heavy atmosphere. There's people that I could bring up to this platform right now that thought they were hopeless and helpless. There's people standing in this building right now that were hopelessly addicted, headed down a dead-end street. They went through the Bowery. They went through the ghetto. They've gone through all of that. And God raised them up and baptized them with power like they never knew. And now they're living for Jesus victoriously. And He can do the same for you. Yes, He can. I'm asking everybody to come as our custom is here. Everybody come. Everybody come. Everybody come. Would you come and just blurt out a... A prayer request to Jesus and just see what you feel, see what he says.